Well, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6, we're going to start there, and uh, we're going to jump through to some different verses and talk about some different subjects, but everybody should know this verse. It's a great verse, and it says, far by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. By wise counsel, you will wage your own war. Well, um, when we read a verse like this, you have to remember Solomon the teacher and others sprinkled in different parts of the book of Proverbs that shared a, a Proverbs that, or a proverb that was compiled within the book of Proverbs. Uh, you have to remember their focus, their aim was to raise up leadership Males, of course, the culture of that day, unfortunately, did not include women. And uh, so they were raising up men to be future leaders in Israel. For by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. Um, I, don't, I know you ladies don't like, typically, some of you do, but typically you don't like war movies. But just to show you that men are different than women, um, how many of you men kind of like war movies? Any man here? All right. All right. Uh, how many of you women love war movies? All right. There's about five of you. All right. So good. All right. So uh, anyway, um, I actually, I kind of like war movies. And I saw one, Hacksaw Ridge, some time ago. It was about a, a, a conscientious objector who was a Christian and uh, he joined the service but, uh, in World War II, but he was not going to fight. He was not going to carry a gun. And they ridiculed him and, I mean, just really beat this guy up and made fun of him and tried to get him kicked out. But he stayed in. And uh, toward the end of it, true story, toward the end of it, they were scaling a high ridge, coming off of the beach, trying to, to uh, gain the higher ground. And uh, he got up there on top of that cliff and all night long rescued our soldiers. And when nobody knew he was doing it, at least to start with, bringing them out and saved, it was like 30, 40 wounded men brought them off that ridge and to safety. I'm almost ready to cry right now. I'm just thinking about it. How many of you saw Hacksaw Ridge? All right, what well, a great movie. I mean, and uh, it was true, and you guess that just makes it that much better. It was true, and uh, what he did was phenomenal, and all those soldiers, I am about to cry, gracious, anyway, and so all those soldiers who had made fun of him and laughed at him, ridiculed him, held him in such high honor and I think he's the only one that had ever won the Medal of Honor that was a conscientious objector. Great movie, but one that you, uh, we men really could get into. So it's not, though, and here's what he's saying. You're going to fight battles and, and to come, real-life battles to these future leaders. And he is saying, don't think it's going to be by numbers or brute force. It is going to be by wise counsel, outsmarting. And so you need wisdom. And the whole book of Proverbs is about wisdom. And uh, he's saying you're going to need wisdom even to wage war. 
Uh, I think of General George Washington, who his troops were trapped. And, uh, and so what happened was he gathered them all up. They got in boats, and, and they got across and escaped on boats. But God brought a fog, a dense fog, uh, there so they, they could get across. And when you turn to God, God will help you. Whether you're in war or whether you're in war with your husband or whether you're uh, in war or feel like you're in war at work, he'll give you wisdom, he'll give you counsel. And uh, it's not, I, I have seen many war movies. I'm not talking about bad, bad ones, but many war movies where wisdom outsmarted numbers and uh, use things to their advantage just using their head. All right, for by wise counsel, you will wage your own war. And in a multitude of counselors, here's the part everyone remembers, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. And then he said, war is won not by strength, but by wise counsel. So you and I, we need wisdom and the insight of God and things that are hidden on the surface to us. We need the wisdom of God who knows everything and knows how to do everything. Um, it's just phenomenal what uh, we can draw from the wisdom of God and look so smart ourselves. That is why when people compliment you and I, that we give the glory to God. Because as Christians, without God, we can do nothing. But with God, we can do all things. And that means that we use the wisdom of God for uh, the furtherance of the kingdom first and foremost. And we use the wisdom of God to help people, help ourselves, but help others. So, um, in other words, uh, let's look at this last part. It says, in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, let me, uh, let me not warn you, but let me admonish you. If I don't think this is talking about if you're having marital issues. I don't think it's talking about going from counselor to counselor to counselor to counselor, all right? Uh, I think that you need to maybe get counsel, but you try to get it from one godly, wise person who is trained and has experience, if at all possible, a lot of experience in counseling in a marriage situation. You don't go looking for somebody that's going to agree with you. And uh, as a couple, you walk in. I had no intention of talking about this, but apparently somebody here tonight needs this, all right? So I'm going to deviate just for you. Uh, you're a couple, you're sitting here, and you could use a little help uh, right now in your life. So what you have to do is walk in, find somebody that you've heard is good, or uh, you come to the counseling center. We have great people that counsel, or wherever you go, you walk in, and your attitude, first and foremost, needs to be what? God, I'm here for me. I'm here for me. I'm not here to tell that person every bad thing about them so that person can straighten out that person, all right? No, 
You are there so God and that person can help to guide you to straighten out you, all right, to get you as uh, full of the wisdom of God and obedience that, that you need. And uh, usually, though, when couples come in for marriage counselor, they're like, excuse me, pastor, if you could just straighten him out, this really would be a piece of cake. Or he's like, well, no, uh, it's uh, her that needs straightening out. No, it's both of you that need straightening out, all right? That's usually the case. So walk in there, say, God, I'm here. God, shine a spotlight on my soul. Help me, oh, Lord God to obey and be willing to change in any area of my life that's going to help. And God will give you wisdom. Uh, wisdom is an incredible thing that's going to help you in every aspect of life. Multitude of counselors describes the group of planners whose agreement has devised the strategies that lead to safety. Uh, in other words, let me give you an example. A couple weeks ago, I got a call from a pastor. Uh, he's been here in the States about 10 years. He's from Venezuela. Sharp guy, sharp couple. Um, and he said to me, I want to talk to you because we're looking to build a church. Never done this before, so I wanted to call you. And I, um, first of all, I was impressed with that because too many people have the attitude, I don't need anybody else's help. I can do this myself. I will pray, but I, I don't need anybody else's help. So anybody that will call somebody that's been through it, and especially been through it more than once, is a wise person. Wouldn't you agree? And so he called me, and he started asking me questions, and I started giving answers as best I could. I, I, I pointed out some things that he may be pitfalls that he needed to watch out for, and some things that he was going to experience. I've also had people call me before and say, uh, I want to come meet with you. I'm starting a church, and um, I want to talk to you. And I'm like, first of all, let me tell you something. I have never started a church. Uh, this church, when I became pastor, uh, I think um, had 954 people, all right? And so that's quite a good-sized church. I'd been here 10 years, 10 and a half years, but I've never started a church. So I tell them, look, if I were you, I would go to so-and-so because they've started a church. I have not. So they can tell you things I don't know. So this is how counsel works. I mean, don't try to, don't try to counsel everybody if that's not your experience or expertise uh, you want to send them to somebody who's experienced it and gotten godly wisdom and counsel. Um, so this is the way counsel works. Counsel, and the multitude of counselors, if you're going to make a major decision, you want to get as much input as you can. And men, you have always got to ask the wife. You have always got to ask her. It doesn't matter if it's a financial investment. You got to ask her. Why? She's going to see things differently than you. She's going to, women by nature, it seems like, can be more sensitive to the spirit than men. And all the men said, oh, me. All right, so anyway, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. But generally speaking, it seems like 
men have a tendency to depend sometimes too often on this right here. Their mind, what they think, and uh, they need the input of a woman to say, this is what I'm feeling. You're like, honey, you don't, you know, you don't know anything about finding. If she says, this is what I'm feeling, you better listen up, all right? I could give you several examples where a man would come up here and say, that's right. Listen to pastor. I should have listened to her, and I did not do so. Multitude of counselors, whether it is job selection, get counsel, get wisdom, get input. Uh, it doesn't matter if somebody gives you input, and, you know, it's like, ah, I don't want to listen to that. That's not what I feel I bear witness with my spirit. But you're searching out wisdom. And as long as you're not getting ungodly wisdom and you're not going as a married couple or a married woman to someone who's unsaved, I divorced that rascal. I've been divorced. It's great. Uh, no, run for your life. Get away from that kind of counsel, all right? Starting a business. Oh, my goodness. If you're going to start a business, you're going you're gonna to talk to financial people. You're going to talk to people who've started businesses. You're going to hear from God. You're going to do everything you can to, uh, to make sure that you get as much input and counsel as you can. Okay, so whatever it is, a multitude of counselors, and there is great wisdom. Now, in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. I'm jumping ahead, guys, in the uh, room, media room. So 24, 16, it says this. For a righteous man may fall, didn't say will fall, but a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Calamity, an event causing great and sudden damage, all right? So they fall by calamity, an event causing great and sudden danger or damage. The righteous person loyal to the Lord and his people may come on hard times. They may fall. Repeatedly they may fall. But each time they will rise as the Lord vindicates them in due season. So right now you may feel like, boy, I, I'm, in a, I'm, in a, I'm in a hole here and I need to get out. Don't doubt for a moment. God uh, is saying to you, if you are a righteous man or woman as a believer, you're going to rise up again. Though you fall again, you're going to rise up again. Though you fall again, you're going to rise up again. Though you fall again, you're going to rise up again. Because God does not want you to stay down, all right? So don't grow weary in well-doing. For in what due season you shall reap if you faint not. How many of you have ever been in a place of fainting? Well, of course, you're in a place where you're like, I don't know what to do, but God is there, comes in, sweeps in, picks you up, and carries you on. Don't lose hope. All right, wicked people are made to stumble and never get up. Calamity hits them as divine judgment. Oh, now look at this next verse. Proverbs, Solomon, filled with great wisdom. All right, look at it. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Look at this. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. There are so many things in the Bible that seem so 
out of character with this world. Um, of course, the average person is going to rejoice when their enemy falls. But the Word of God says, don't do it. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls. And do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Don't let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Lest, look at, oh my goodness, verse 18 is an incredible verse. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. Wow. God does not want us gloating over our enemies. He does not want us to have the attitude uh, when we see somebody fall that hurt us. They're our enemy. They hurt us. They fall. We find out about it. We're, we're like, hey, you know, um, shouldn't have messed with me. I'm a child of God, you know. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's what you get. No. God is saying, do not have that attitude. Do not rejoice. What, do you, what should you do? You should pray for them because it may be in that falling that God brings salvation to their lives. It may be that God is working on them to turn them to him. And if we're gloating over it as a believer, dear God, that is why even in this political season, now this, boy, is this relevant or not? Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. People are not our enemy. People are not our enemy. The devil is our enemy. And spiritual forces are at play in the world today. There are people that are hurting people, rioting. There are people that are killing others. There, there are policemen that have done wrong things in the last few months. There's enough, there's enough guilt to go around in a lot of areas. But may God help us and God help me to see these people not as an enemy, but to see them as a human being that are caught up in a demonic demonstration of hell that is causing chaos and causing people to be at odds. Who do you think is sitting back and laughing? The enemy, the devil, hordes of hell are sitting back laughing in glee at what is happening in America and around the world. So if you and I look on and laugh and gloat, who's, who are we replicating? We're joining in with the hordes of hell that are laughing at all the chaos and the people that are being devastated and the people that are doing harm and wrong. We're joining. So we have got to see clearly, God help us all to see this, myself included, because it is so easy to forget the spiritual aspect of what is happening. We see people doing things, saying things we don't like it. They become our enemy. They are not our enemy. They are people that Christ died for. They are people on their way to hell. They are people that need Jesus Christ. And so may God help us. And at the same time, revival is breaking out in some of these cities. And, and I know, yes, uh, uh, recently there was a, a worship service. I think it was in, uh, I think it was in Portland. And 
the city said you can't use the park on Labor Day. And so what did they do? They had a worship service in the street. Apparently anybody can go in the street. So they, could, they went in the street. They had a worship service. And I read where one of the Antifa people who it's easy to not like them, okay? They're anarchists. They're, uh, they're revolutionaries. They want to burn everything down by their own manifesto. So it's easy to not like them, but he was saying, the more I ridicule and the more, the more they get happy, talking about Christians. It's easy when you're a man there. I know I'm a man. It's easy to, you know, not like that so much that the flesh goes after them but God, help us to realize they're lost. They're going to hell. They need Jesus. Christ is the answer for the world. Say amen. All right. So we don't laugh. We don't uh, gloat when people fall. You know, I, I know when, when people, whether it's a friend or whoever, you know, I've, I've used this before, I've, where uh, years ago I was sitting in a service. It was at district council, and the, the platform was filled with preachers, and I was just a little guy, and uh, not stature-wise, but a, a little guy as far as the level, you know, of attainment, and uh, they were all up there in fine apparel, and so uh, one man, he was going to the pulpit, he got up from the riser, and he came over, and he tripped, and he fell flat on his face in the, on the platform. Now, I have to admit, I, I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but your pastor found that funny, okay? Um, I, don't, I didn't laugh out loud. I absolutely did not laugh out loud, but, I mean, of course it was kind of funny, and so, but uh, I was here several years ago. Uh, we had a conference here, and um, I was coming up with another pastor to share in this conference, and we were coming up to sit down in chairs, and I walked up those stairs over there, which I've done hundreds and hundreds of times. I walked up those stairs, I started walking across, and all of a sudden, I somehow tripped, but it wasn't just a straight down fall. It was one of those where you just keep tripping, your, you know, for like 10 feet. And, uh, and I literally tripped from like 10 feet over there all the way over to here and finally caught myself, you know, and then I'm looking out. Um, I think, personally, uh, you know, when you reap what you sow, it took a long, it took years, but finally, I, I, I reaped what I sowed years ago, and so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure of that, but sure seems like it. All right, so anyway, uh, I don't, don't laugh at anybody, okay? Somebody falls on this platform, don't you laugh, because you're liable to fall in, and right in front of a bunch of people, and I felt so crazy. I, I sat down, I'm like, I'm like a kid, my God. And so anyway, um, don't laugh at people. Don't make fun of them. And don't gloat when your enemy falls. Amen. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. Proverbs 24, verse 30, 34. And um, oh boy, There's, this theme is throughout the book of Proverbs, all right? And it's a theme I, I, I kind of like, all right? Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. And we're going to read the, all four chapters. Let's read it. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. So here's a lazy man who owns a field. Here's a man of, uh, uh, devoid of understanding who owns a vineyard. 
And there it was, all overgrown with thorns, all overgrown with thorns. The surface was covered with nettles. Um, its stone wall was broken down. And when I saw it, I considered it well. Now, think about it. He walks by, he sees this field that should be producing a harvest. He sees a vineyard that should be producing luscious uh, grapes. But instead, it's all overgrown. It's unattended. It's uh, unproductive. Uh, it brings no value to its owner. And he says, when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep. Here's the instruction he received. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Um, this is a classic theme throughout, as I mentioned, throughout the book of Proverbs. Laziness versus diligence, or uh, diligence, working hard, uh, working hard, diligent. Laziness versus diligence. So there is one thing I do not want this church to be. It is lazy. I don't want the people that work here to be lazy. Um, I don't want you to be lazy because I know that when you are lazy, your productivity is diminished greatly, all right? So I want you to prosper. I want you to be blessed. And uh, we're going to look at some verses, and I'm sure we've covered them in the past in dealing with Proverbs and other subjects, but let's go through them. All right, a lesson to the wise person is discovered in the fields of the lazy man, which stand in sharp contrast with the fit field that the wise person is urged to prepare. Laziness was not the result of a weak back, but of a hollow brain, a lack of understanding, the Bible says, devoid of understanding. All this was an object lesson to be pondered carefully. Diligence was a virtue admired by uh, the disciples, admired throughout history, and admired by God, all right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor. Here's Paul saying, you remember our, um, our labor and toil for laboring night and day. Paul went to Thessalonica. He preached. He tried to win people, to, or he did win people to the Lord, but he labored day and night. He was a tent maker by trade, and he worked hard along with preaching the gospel. And there's a lot of people today, pastors, uh, other people in ministry, that they work a secular job and they do ministry also. And, uh, and in that secular job, they minister, right? So he worked building, making tents, Paul did, but he also preached the gospel and opened churches. He was a church planner and, a, and an apostle, of course, that we might not be a burden. He said, we work so that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Paul urges the new believers to work with your own hands in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 and to obey the command if anyone will not work. 
neither shall he eat. Boy, that is profound. All right, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. It doesn't say if anyone cannot work, but will not work. If you are incapable of working, you know, um, but if you get up tomorrow morning and stub your toe and call in and say, hey, I really would like to come in, but I'm not feeling well, what's wrong? Well, I stubbed my toe on the way out of bed this morning. Um, no, that's not a valid reason, all right? Pray for your little toe and go to work, all right? And so uh, I'm sure it will feel better if you pray for it, all right? Anyway, less than constancy of labor violates the creative purposes of God and brands us, yikes, as leeches on the society that others are obligated to support. I read, and a lot of people, we thought the word socialist or socialism the average person, the average American, doesn't even know what it means. Um, so uh, I read recently, they said, here's what you should do to teach your children socialism. You tell your child, go clean your room. I will pay you $10. So they get up reluctantly, but with the desire to make $10, they go clean the room. You give them $10. Then you say, but give me the 10 back. Here's three because... Uh, your brothers, you know, I need to give them something also. So I'm going to give them part of your money. All of a sudden, he's like, that's not fair. That's not right. Well, that's socialism, all right? You take from those who produce, give to those who do not. And uh, it's different if they are incapable of working. It's different if uh, they're handicapped or can't work. But that's socialism. And pretty soon... You run out of people who have money to give to those who want work and want somebody else to pay everything in their life. That's a, that's a visual of socialism, and that destroys incentive, all right? That destroys incentive. That's why in Russia, years ago under communism, uh, communism was a horrible thing, and socialism they, really is kind of between capitalism uh, which I see biblical, and socialism and communism. You know what happened? It was the bread. They had more land in Russia. They, in the Ukraine, uh, just uh, thousands and millions of acres to produce. But there was no incentive. The government owned everything. The government paid them a pittance uh, to barely get by, and they didn't care. And so alcoholism took hold, and uh, everybody was drinking and, and, uh, and post-liberated uh, Russia, and maybe still so as a result, but uh, it was horrible. And then when men start drinking, there was incest and sexual abuse that was rampant, absolutely horrendous. So that's what can happen when incentive is taken away. All right, let me give you some Symptoms of a slothful man. All right, I'll try to hurry. Number one, symptom of a soft, slothful person. All right? Um, just recently, somebody was telling me, you know, they've got a, I won't say boy or girl, but um, it doesn't matter because they're about 23 years old and they're at home and they won't go find a job and they won't work. What do you do? when you've got a 23, 24-year-old and they won't get up and go work, won't go find a job, won't do anything, but lay there and watch TV and play video games. 
Here's a suggestion, move, all right? So uh, maybe you just, they need to come home one day and you're moved, all right? So gone, don't leave a forwarding address, all right? Anyway, I'm kidding about the forwarding address, but anyway, uh, son, we moved into this one-bedroom home, and so uh, there's no room for you, all right? So anyway, uh, seven symptoms of a slothful man. Number one, he does not believe that he is slothful. Proverbs 26, a lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Number two, he makes little soft choices in life, all right? Proverbs 20, verse 4, the lazy man will not plow because of winter. Too cold. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. God help. Number three, he does not value the importance of time or seasons. The sluggard is not a self-starter. Oh, my God. I'm going to stop here for a moment. The sluggard is not a self-starter. Uh, listen, here's what employers are looking for. They are looking for self-starters. They are not looking for somebody that's standing around and, and uh, have to be told everything to do. No, if uh, my son worked at a Chick-fil-A and the, the motto was, if you got time to, to lean, or no, you, you got time to lean, you got time to clean. In other words, if you're standing around leaning on something, you got time to clean. So quick work standing there, grab a mop, grab something, start cleaning, find something to do. So don't be a person that goes to work tomorrow and does nothing until you are told or just stands around and you'll go do it or mosey on to do it if they tell you, but other than that, you just stand around, all right? Don't do that. Be a self-starter. Come in there with the attitude, what can I do? Uh, I, they haven't told me anything to do, but I'm going to find something to do, and, and uh, uh, there's plenty around here, and, and uh, I'm going to start this project, and if they want me to do something else, I'll go there, but I'm not going to be standing here waiting around for them to tell me what to do. Be a self-starter. Proverbs 12, 24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. Number four. He will not finish task. Even the maintenance of what he has becomes a burden. Because of laziness, the building decays, and thorough idleness of hands, the house leaks. And I know, I know, I know, I know that we men can be guilty of putting off house projects, all right? Um, we all have probably done it. Some of you are ex so exceptional that you go to work, you work super hard, but you put off the house projects and and, and trooping on. I've done that before. And years ago, we, we moved out of a house and bought another one because the family was growing. And we painted the house and we fixed it up. And when we got ready to leave, I looked back at it and I'm like, oh my goodness, it looks so good. I, I, I don't know if I even want to go. Uh, why didn't we fix this up before? You know, and that's, that can really happen. It's been said that the mechanic is the one that never gets around to fixing his own car. And the builder and the repairman is the one that never gets around to fixing his own house. But God help us um, make your wife happy. Do it anyway. All right, number five. He lives in a world of wishful thinking. 
He lives in a world of wishful thinking. Two more things and we're finished. Proverbs 21, the desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. Ah, wishful thinking. He's always thinking something's going to happen. He's going to win the lottery. He's going to come out good. And then all of a sudden, he's in the the finishing years of his life, and he has nothing, all right? Number six, he brings painful damage to his employers. This is unbelievable. I know nobody in our church is like this, and nobody. He brings damage to his employers. How does he do that? His presence on the job is worse than his absence from it. Now, it's pretty bad when you stay home and they're like, oh, thank God he's not here. That would never be the case with anybody that goes to faith assembly. And uh, you better get your act together or never tell anybody you go to faith assembly. All right, so I'm just telling you, right? If you are lazy, don't tell anybody you go to faith assembly because people label churches by one example. Somebody does something wrong, ah, that's faith assembly. That's faith. Where do they go? Faith. Oh, yeah, that, that church over there. And label all of us. Dear God, do not tell anybody. If, you, if you're a busybody or a drama queen, don't tell anybody you go to faith assembly. Please, I'm serious, don't tell them. Because everybody's like, I'm not ever going to that church. They're probably all like that person over here. No, all right? And so then God's going to have to send somebody else from faith assembly that's not a drama queen so that that person can come and get saved. All right, so it just complicates God's work. So listen, quit being a drama queen, go to work, work hard, impress the employer, and be a great, great, wonderful employee, and don't ever be lazy. And uh, when you leave... When you leave, for whatever reason, if you get laid off for whatever reason, you walk back in and you sit down, you make an appointment with the person, the supervisor, and you say, listen, thank you for the privilege of working here, and would you please be so kind to tell me anything that I could improve in, because in my next job, I want to do better than I did here, so if there's anything you saw, please tell me. At that moment that person is going to fall off their chair, all right? So they're just going to fall off the chair because probably nobody has ever done that before. Too many people have been laid off, and they're like, I don't know why I got laid off. I don't know why I got laid off. I can't, I can't believe it. Why did they lay me off? I'm such a good worker. And everybody's like, oh, my God. We're going to be a Proverbs worker, Amen. Praise God. Bow your heads with us, please. Father, help us all. Please forgive us. We all fall short of the glory of God. Lord, I pray that all of us would be changing, processing, Lord, hearing, and Lord, adapting to more of a obedient, Christ-like, word-filled person, God, in every area of our lives. Please, God, if you use others... God, have to use others. Please use others to speak into our hearts things that will help us. God, we want to be the kind of person 
in every aspect of our lives. We want to be wise. We want to be diligent. We don't want to be people that laugh at others and miss the spiritual aspect of life. God, we don't want people to become our enemies. God, in Jesus' name, help us, I pray. Help us, I pray. Well, every head is bowed, please. Every head is bowed, and you never know who may have walked into the building or there online that doesn't know Christ. You're never, ever going to reach your potential as a human being in life, period, without being a Christ follower, someone who's serving God. God's on your side. God wants to help you right now. But if you're sitting here and you don't know Christ, I want to pray for you. Others are praying for you right now. They may not even know you, but they're there are people praying right now and asking God to touch people, and that's you. So if you're the one, God's touching your heart, you need to get right with God. That's the most important thing to all of us right now that are believers is that you, if you need Christ, find him as Lord and Savior. So if that's you, you need Christ, you need to get right with God, would you right now just slip your hand up high? Just lift it up high. Let me see it. Across this building. I know it's a Wednesday night. I know that most people that come on a Wednesday night are born again, love God, hard workers, excited about Christ. But if there's one here, I want to see and I want to pray. Stand with us, please, everyone. And I truly, truly, truly hope that is the case. That every person here is born again and loves God on your way to heaven, helping others to get there too. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And so we're going to open these altars and they're going to lead us in a chorus. When they start to lead us in this chorus, if you need prayer for anything, maybe you're making a decision about something and you're about to try to make it on your own without seeking God's help. Sometimes even Christians make decisions without even praying about it. So don't make that decision without praying about it. So if it's a decision you're making, come, let's pray about it. If you're in the midst of some turmoil, come, let's pray about it. You need a healing in your body, come, let's pray about it. Whatever your need is, there's a great God, a mighty God, an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God that is ready to help you and touch your life. So they're going to lead us. If you need prayer, slip out and come right now, if you would, please. Holding nothing back. I surrender it all Everything I have Everything I am Holding nothing back Oh, I surrender it all Everything I have Everything I am Holding nothing back Lord, I surrender it all oh my God these altars are open. You need prayer. Slip out and come. Do it now. Come. Let's pray before you leave this building. You need somebody to pray with you. Jesus, my God and my Lord. My God and my Lord. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, my God and my Lord. Have mercy, O oh God. Have mercy, O oh God. Touch these at this altar, O oh God. 
touch those online. God, touch every person in this building. God, for every one of our problems, there is a solution that's found in your wisdom and your counsel and in your direction. So Lord God Almighty, for all these problems represented online here in this building, we lay them at your feet. We ask you, O oh Lord God, to direct our footsteps in Jesus' name. Pastor John, lead us in prayer, please. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much, Lord God, again, for your presence in this place today. And thank you, God, for how you've ministered to us, Lord. We pray that as we face the rest of this week, God, we would go with your guidance, with your protection, Lord God, with your favor over us, Lord God, knowing that uh, you as King of kings and Lord of lords, your favor is greater than anything that we could face. So I pray, Lord God, for favor over those that are at these altars, over those that are reaching out to you, Lord God, in these seats, Lord God, but those that are reaching out to you, Lord God, uh, on the broadcast tonight, Father, I just pray that you would smile upon these, your children, and that your presence would be them with them wherever they go, Lord God, manifesting throughout this week. And when we come back together, if it be your will, Lord God, we will lift and magnify you for all that you have been and for all that you've done. We love you and honor you and bless you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. Love you so much. These altars are still open if you'd like to pray tonight. Also, Pastor Wayne is here to serve you communion if you'd like to take communion as well. If you're watching online and you'd like somebody to pray with you, we want you to know you can call the number that's on your screen and somebody is here to pray with you and with your family if need be. We'd love to minister to you. God bless you, and we hope to see you again very soon. Take care.